Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compile that all into a book, so you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. It talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not, and why is it important? Uh, why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, so there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. The Audible version is in production and should be ready in approximately a month. But if you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle or go, go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we had put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research. And I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius podcast, now a part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Felix Kale. He's a neuromarketer, founder of Happy Buying Brain. The website is happybuyingbrain.com. And Felix helps companies apply brain activity measurement strategies to measure their buyers' responses to specific products or packaging or advertising and marketing. So Felix, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me on the show, uh, Richard. I definitely appreciate it. So are you the one that helps everyone and manipulates them into buying stuff, or is it more benevolent than that? Oh, of course, it's benevolent. Neuromarketing is seen as another tool, right? So the whole point of it is to always to add value to people's lives and to solve uh, pain points in order to um, help people become better versions of themselves. And I think that's an everyday thing that uh, you know consumers are looking to strive for. Is there anyone that's using you know brainwave imaging to study customer service so that they can improve that? I know that the uh, buying they've been focusing on, but customer service, unfortunately, I think needs some help. I think, um, yeah, customer service is always a focal point for um, for any company in terms of how do you build those relationships and importantly nurture it. There's certainly, especially in today's age of instant uh, gratification, people are looking for fast ways to communicate. And that's very important, especially in the digital era where, you know, people want uh, responses um, pretty much on the spot. So, um, you know, one of the things that we've noticed that a lot of um, companies are implementing on their digital platforms is the use of uh, chatbots. So, um, you know, that's something that's uh, very fascinating because that provides um, instant, um, the company to reply instantly 
to the consumers because that could be the difference between a satisfied uh, customer looking to carry forward with the purchase versus you know a frustrated consumer that could potentially take uh, their business somewhere else. So how did you get into studying, I guess, the the neuropsychology of buying? What what got you interested in it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's very, actually, the, the journey is totally different. If you and I were to have this conversation 20 years ago, the initial, um, you know, you'd find uh, me in uh, post-secondary university studying biological sciences and psychology. And the initial aspiration was actually enter the med- medical field, more specifically the field of optometry, because I always had a fascination with like the visual, the visual system within the human body. So that kind of carried forward years into the um, into the post-secondary. And then uh, it things kind of took a, a twist, but the twist for the better and start to um, had a friend that introduced us to more of the world of business. So that was totally different because now instead of just being all theory-based, which we learn in school um, with all the books and everything, now you're, you know, you're going out and you're interacting with real people. And a lot of the stuff that you learn, obviously, in, in books, it's, uh, you know, it's when it gets applied, it's um, not always translates the way that uh, that people expect it to, right? But there's, there's emotions and other things that factor into the, uh, the decision-making process. So, um, you know, after getting introduced to the business world, really starting to the, really got introduced with uh, the more of the finance, investment, and insurance uh, side of things. Self-employment was, uh, you know, a very important um, uh, transition point. Did that for a few years and then came across another group of friends that were more technology-based minded. And, um, you know, from the early 2010s to for nearly a decade, spent, spent that time in the tech and mobile space. And what I really started to notice was just like how we saw in the early uh, 2000s that the internet was taking over. And then, you know, 10 years after that in 2010s, you had the introduction of your mobile phones, um, you know, the smartphones and the tablets um, start to really revolutionize the way that we live and work and play. And um, what I see today is actually we're at the cusp of another tech revolution, moving more towards artificial intelligence, machine learning, and um, virtual reality. And, um, the thing that I noticed about that was at the core of a lot of these innovations, whether they're chatbots or um, let's say voice command technology that you know people use on a daily basis on their iPhones with Siri and um, Alexa, for example, if they have an Amazon product, a lot of those innovations at the core are based on neuroscience. So looking beyond just the field of technology is um, we're looking to see how the, the field of neuroscience could be applied. Um, to other industries as well. And that's when, um, you know, the the marriage between neuroscience and and business and marketing came to light as well. So um, it's a combination of, you know, educational background with, uh, you know, over a decade of uh, business experience combined with the timing of where, you know, things are moving at this particular moment. And especially with what's gone on over the last 12 months, brands are looking for more, you know, better ways to understand the consumers and also, how do you, they connect with them and engage with them on a digital platform as, you know, a lot of things um, continue to move online? All right. So what are some of the uniquenesses of the, the way people interact now with businesses? What are you studying? What are you trying to optimize and improve? Yeah. So the one thing is, um, so when it comes to the brain, obviously, um, everyone's familiar familiar with the logical side of the brain, right? So that's more of your cortex, the part that kind of sits on the top closer to your scalp. That's more rational. It deals with um, things such as like data, figures, and facts. But what we're finding right now is because of all this uncertainty that's going on, and there's a lot of um, people in general are in a state of heightened anxiety, uncertainty, and they're looking for uh, stability in their lives, right? And 
as we could see from the panic buying of you know certain items such as toilet paper there's a lot of kind of irrational type of behaviors going on at this particular moment simply because of the circumstances so how does a brand now position themselves because a brand really is just a verb or an emotional state so if we look at consumers in terms of where they're at in an emotional state uh, the part that we focus on in terms of for neuromarketing is what we call the primal brain right so the primal brain deals more with um, understanding situations in terms of threat non-threat emotions and social situations so um, you know together that uh, the reptilian brain the midbrain comprises the uh, the primal brain and right now the primal brain of the consumer people in general are just in this hyper intensive state of anxiety uncertainty uh, there's a lot of uh, you know panic and fear as well so now brands their job since they're seen as an emotional state how do they now enter the lives of the consumer to restore you know calmness and balance and stability and to remove a lot of that turbulence that's happening right now um, that's really causing a lot of you know havoc and chaos in, in terms of where people see their lives going or what has transpired over the last year or so are you focusing on helping retailers you know in a pandemic environment or is just in general I, I would think you've been doing this for many years like what what are some examples of brands that really are doing it well or that have changed and now they're they're engaging much better with their you know their customers yeah so absolutely so i think the main thing is how do you make the consumer right now because they feel very um there's a lot of instability uncertainty and just a lot of um turbulence in their life so how do you make them feel safe right so that's the absolute key right now and connect with them in a way that's time relevant so companies that are actually focusing more on say bringing back the nostalgic feel of um triggering memories of let's say their childhood is something that uh, seems to be something that's very effective and and uh common in terms of brands and of uh, their brand messaging of how they want to connect with their consumers so just taking up this allowing or empowering the consumer to now take them back in the place where let's say in their childhood where they felt like safe with their parents or their grandma for example or reliving a certain memory in their childhood where um you know they they felt that um, you know everything was all right i think that's right now the one of the main themes that are going on that uh, really highlights how brands want to position themselves to um you know be the solution to a lot of the societal problems that are happening so um you know one of the companies is like a fast food company and and as an example for that um the commercial is is now you have the the child but he's an ad- but she's an adult but um what ends up happening is there's actually a doll that uh, she comes across and then uh, she picks up the doll and she and it brings back all memories about um you know her and and all the times that she spent together with her grandma and uh the really touching point about that was her grandma took the time to actually sew back um you know a, a missing part of the doll so it was this kind of reliving you know a lot of those moments where the grandma and the and now the adult that used to be a, that brings the adult back to the days when she was a child that um you know more of the happy memories that came with the um the doll itself and by associating those memories with the brand then that's how that particular fast food brand can now become more uh time relevant for example you know what are some of the things that you'll do or advise or you know what what kind of products do you have in your company to you know help the buying process what are you trying to influence and how before we continue i've been personally funding the finding genius podcast for four and a half years now which has led to 2700 plus interviews of clinicians researchers scientists ceos 
and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. Sounds good. So the main thing is this understanding how the brain is is structured and how information physically enters the brain. So the the most important thing is once again, so at the very base of the, the brain, you have the reptilian brain, right? Which is the it's your physical brain. It's fast, reflexive, automatic, and it's pretty much responsible for your fight or flight uh, responses. So information actually enters from from the, actually the bottom of your brain stem. And then what ends up happening is, is it sends to your midbrain, which is responsible for uh, dealing with emotions and social situations, right? And then um, what ends up happening is after that, it, uh, the information actually ascends to the um, logical part of the brain, which is the cortex. And once again, that deals with more uh, rational factors such as uh, figures, data, and, uh, and facts, for example. So the main important thing is the primal brain actually acts as a primitive filter, for the logical part of the brain, because the logical part of the brain or the cortex, it has consumed so much energy that if um, all the stimuli coming in, um, it would totally shut down the the brain in total, right? So that's why the brain has to be very energy efficient. And the primal brain, since it acts as this, energy, as this uh, primitive filter, so now as marketers, for example, how do we create content or core messaging that actually now, um, you know, satisfies the primitive uh, filters of the primal brain? So that it can send to the logical part of the brain for, for more like a holistic uh, processing. And what's really unique about the primal brain is uh, that's where the subconscious mind lives or resides. And that um, influences up to 95% of our decision making every single day. And that also includes our buying decisions. So uh, again, are there any examples that come to mind of a campaign for a product or a brand uh, where they were marketing one way and you changed it and their marketing improved? Yeah, absolutely. So all this right now, this on a general level, you know, for neuromarketing, it's used to improve like things such as packaging. Um, how does companies engage multiple senses so they become more memorable? Also for how do you improve uh, product design as well? Um, obviously, how do you make ads and commercials uh, more cost efficient and mitigate risks along the way? It's also used for to allow brands to grab attention as well. And also for product placement and for um more digital platforms like web des- website designs and for um, things like search engine optimization. Just one example is, for example, uh, packaging. So, you know, we have big companies that, for example, Pepsi or Frito-Lays. Um, one example there is they're looking to actually tap into the female market. And at that time, um, what their um, their chips were actually packaged in a, a shiny style bag. And what they're finding is when they ran uh, brain studies, was that there was a part of the brain that was actually becoming highly active that was um, triggered whenever there's feelings of guilt that were... that. So what was happening was now with the females, they were actually associating the Frito-Lay's chip brand with guilt. So that's why there was not many sales or the types of sales that they like. So due to those uh, brain studies, they actually changed their uh, packaging from a shiny bag to one of a more beige 
but matte style finish. And then when they ran tests again, so these brain uh, studies, um, what ended up happening was that uh, they found that there's a considerable reduction in terms of brain activity in that specific area of the brain that would indicate, you know, the association of their brand to um, the feelings of guilt. So um, by making that change of their packaging to more of a matte style finish, then that's what allowed them to um, enter that market more efficiently because now, let's say, females are are now perceiving that, um, you know, Frio Lays is a much more positive and healthy alternative as a snack than um, when it was actually packaged in a, in a shiny style bag. So that uh, dramatically um, increased their sales and helped them to tap into the female market. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Another example. So why, why, were, um, why, would, why would women feeling guilty? Why would the packaging do that? Well, the thing is, you know, at, uh, well, the, the, the biggest thing was the, the shining, the metallic of it. So that gives the impression that something is artificial. So this is the fact that's, that the, the thought of putting something artificial into your body, then that's something that um, would create a lot of guilt behind, you know, especially if, if they're looking for something that's more of a healthy alternative for a snack. So, so, so that's oh, why I mean, so it looked more natural. So they didn't feel as they felt like they're eating something healthier. Exactly. The in the packaging. Okay. Exactly. So just imagine, uh, you know, a, more of a matte style bag. And like how you mentioned, it's like when we look at the things around us, um, you know, trees, stuff like that, they're not really metallic and they're more, as you mentioned, more natural. So it's, it's, uh, more associated now with this putting something in your body that, uh, that's more light, for example, first of all, and more natural. So, um, as opposed to, you know, putting something that's artificial into someone's body. Any other good examples? Yeah, absolutely. So another one is, um, you know, Campbell's soup. So um, what they found was they were looking to uh, redesign their uh, soup label. So they ran, um, you know, brain studies as well. And what they found was they need to make some changes. They had at that time a large uh, spoon, but uh, not really. So so they had a large spoon, but not really um, in terms of the human presence of somebody there on the packaging was not as prominent. So they made the changes of, first of all, eliminating that uh, the large spoon you know, adding a human face to the label and also adding aroma vapors. And what they found was by changing that packaging that it resulted in a 12% increase in their sales. So this is in the late 2000s and early 2000s, early in 2010s when this happened. And 12%, you know, to a lot of people, that doesn't seem that much. But at that time, um, you know, the yearly revenues that uh, Campbell Soup was doing was in close to $78 billion. So a 12% increase of that is know somewhere close to a billion dollars in sales simply by making that packaging change due to you know the near marketing pardon me yeah it's amazing it's crazy yeah so that's just some of it but i'll actually show you the other side where um you have actually companies that that use traditional styles of market research such as uh like focus group surveys and questionnaires and they could have saved themselves a lot more money had they actually uh implemented uh, near marketing research um you know anything that involves like um you know eeg such as putting a cap uh, over the participants or participants uh, scalp and that would uh, record and measure um, you know brainwave patterns you know one example is we had or is like uh, M&M uh, for example they had a very popular Super Bowl ad that I believe they did in about 2018 and when they actually um, ran up when they actually um, you know put it under the um, the research in terms of seeing how uh, consumers' brains would actually respond to their M&M, uh, to the Super Bowl advertising, they found that in their 31-second 31 31 second advertising, that after the, 
the 20 second mark. So Danny DeVito. So at the very beginning, you have two M&Ms and they're talking and, and, and they're walking down the street. And then one of the M&Ms actually turns to Danny DeVito. So Danny DeVito runs around and he's asking the, the people, you know, we're like, would you eat me? Would you eat me? Would you eat me? And then he stands in the middle of the street and because everyone's answering no. And you know how M&Ms, like people, they love them, right? But as an M&M, you don't want to be eaten. So now you see Danny DeVito in the middle of the street and he's this, you know, up and he's just really happy because nobody wants to eat him because, because now like that's, he's a human being. So nobody wants to eat a human being as opposed to an M&M. And the, the scene, what ends up happening is about the 22nd mark, a bus comes by and just absolutely, you know, just knocks him out of the scene into the, into a, a pile of, uh, you know, fruits and vegetables. And that's kind of like where everything peaked. But then 10 seconds after that, then um, when, what was very noticeable was engagement went down. So the, the main, uh, you know, thing to keep in mind is that 10 seconds is they could have found something more effective to use that time for. And that um, either they make it shorter or they just replace it with something that uh, would be much more engaging. So that 10 seconds, I believe at that, um, the Super Bowl, they're, you know, roughly charging about $100,000 a second. So 10 seconds at $100,000 is a million dollars, roughly in that neighborhood that they could have saved or, you know, use it uh, to optimize had they actually done, uh, let's say, either near marketing tests on it or, let's say, more efficient ways to test it. So, I mean, that's one example. um, Does engagement mean that people are going to, is engagement always positive or does engagement not always correlate with buying? Well, the thing, that's one factor in terms of uh, engagement is always important, right? Because if, if people don't engage or consumers don't page engage with the, the product, then it doesn't usually become top of mind as well. So they may not buy at that time, but the more associations that and interactions that a consumer has with a brand, then the more likelihood that they're going to be primed to buy it in the future. Okay, so that some, makes sense. So what else do you look for, for besides engagement? What other factors? And if you can't say it's okay, but if you can at least. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously attention grabbing is, is absolutely huge because right now with everything that's happening, uh, one of the main things is how do how do brands cut through all the noise, right? So especially every, as everything moves online, there's always you know a million things competing for the consumer's attention, and you know there's um, there's a saying or statistics that that, uh, that mentions that um, you know the that the attention span for the average person now is less than a goldfish, right? Which is like less than seven seconds. So um, you know just less than like fifty years ago it used to be thirty minutes because people used to listen to like radio shows. For half an hour and still be able to maintain their attention during that time. So now, you know, a real important uh, piece of real estate, especially when it comes to marketing, is how do you grab attention and how do you keep it during the time that you have it? And, um, you know, one important way to do that is what uh, we call is orientation response. So really what that is, is, um, you know, smooth pattern interruptions that happen to either break up repetition or repetitive thoughts or um, just to allow, um, you know, this uh, allows smooth transitions from one scene to the next, especially when it comes to um, utilizing, let's say, video ads to um, get the to be in front of the the consumer and get the um, the core messaging in front. Um, one of the ways is if we look at like Old Spice, they do a, a fantastic job. There's one of in one of their commercials, you have a gentleman and and then he picks up the Old Spice and then ends up happening as his background is he's just in his um, he's just in his bathroom, for example. And as he continues talking, the background changes from, um, you know, something that we would naturally associate, um, you know, using at home, using your deodorant, but now he's on the beach. And the next thing he's, he's at some, um, you know, rodeo, like the, the background keeps on changing, but now because it's such a huge pattern interrupt, interruption, 
that uh, most people, they don't associate the context of his background with the places that, uh, you know, where someone would wear deodorant. That's one way that also keeps the mind and uh, the brain and the, the attention of the consumer always locked in. And um, the reason behind that is because of due to evolutionary biology is that our brains are always scanning for new stimuli and um, just ask whether that new stimuli will, you know, increase the chances of our survival and reproductive success. So that's why we're always looking for back in the day in our ancestral days, for example, um, they, you know, stimuli that would be very important to them, for example, would be one looking for new mates so that uh, you know, they could ensure the, the passing on their, with their genes and also being able to um, come across new food sources and then being able to assess, is, are these really safe or is it a threat to me or is there a non-threat? And the opposite is true as well, because uh, when someone comes across a stranger, they're always um, one of the first things that come to mind is assessing whether this person's a safe person to talk to as well. So that same guidance system is actually applied to what catches our attention now in the marketing world. So that's why having these orientation responses or these kind of shifts in uh, pattern interruptions always um, it forces the brain or causes the brain to kind of shift its uh, kind of orientation point to to reassess the situation. And that's what really keeps the the brain uh, captivated towards that uh, that particular piece of content. So online versus TV, you know, on a smartphone, um, mm-hmm. what are some of the challenges there that are unique, that are different from TV or other media? Absolutely. I think the number one thing is screen size. There's um, totally different terms of how you lay out the content on, let's say, a five, six inch screen versus, uh, let's say, a 25 to 30 inch monitor, for example. Things to be cognizant about is how the brain how the, the consumer actually scrolls through their phone versus scrolling down on a, um, on a website, on the same website when they're looking online, especially online before if, um, you know, one of the popular trends for websites anyways was actually more of like a horizontal scrolling motion. And um, what, what uh, was found through, um, you know, brain studies was that um, it was not as efficient that a lot of people uh, had, had thought it was. So this the idea of thinking just that, um, you know, that people would like to scroll left left to right. And that's how they would come across new information was less effective than just the traditional way of vertical, like how we would just scroll down on a website. And the reason why is the brain with a scroll down motion, it's able to more easily anticipate that there's more content coming coming forward. Whereas the left and right motion is um, something that the brain can really comprehend. It was just a different way of um, absorbing and coming across information. So that was one of the big things when it comes with just, you know, larger size screen. So if we apply that to now your phone is how do you take content that fits on, say, a 30 inch screen and then make it digestible on a six inch screen? And a lot of that has to do with presenting things in terms of how the brain consumes in- information, which are usually in chunks of three or four. So, um, you know, just laying things out in, in pictures, if you have it, um, ideally, because the screen is a lot smaller, you just want pictures that are preferably larger, right? So, but you'd have them in kind of like sequences of three, and then there would be some sort of, let's say, paragraph or something that would kind of be a break. And then you kind of repeat that over time. So, um, you know, that's probably one of the, the main things in terms of how do you position content so that the consumer not only c- could view it, but it's also easily digestible as well to them. Any examples of a, you know, an ad or a commercial or a website that's just unbelievably successful that's much better than any other you've seen and why? 
Oh, there's, um, I think one of them is, well, I think PayPal did a fantastic job because one of, uh, with PayPal, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind is security. Everybody, when it comes to their, their finances is the top priority is security and just being able to secure their, their money. Right. So that's the number one thing. But however, when they found that as they're creating their ad and they're running, uh, brain studies in terms of how their participant, their uh, consumers would respond to it is they actually found that having ads that talk about speed and convenience was actually more powerful and more effective than the previous ads or the initial thought that, um, you know, that security was, um, should be the number one core or number one thing that they should talk about in terms of their core messaging when it came to, to PayPal. So I thought that was really neat because, uh, with finances, that's what everyone thinks about is how did they keep their, how did they keep their uh, resources secured? Right. But, um, it seems like the overall, the, even factors that supersede that is, um, you know, how easy it is for someone to actually uh, utilize that service and the speed at which it executes those transaction ads seems to be um, is, is much more important. And once again, due to um, evolutionary biology, our brains, there's a reason for that too, because our brains are really hardwired to do really three things. One of them is to for threat detection. And then uh, the other two are more in line with what uh, PayPal found out uh, when they changed their messaging to speed and convenience, which is the brain is also hardwired to um, for energy efficiency. So it wants to make, uh, you know, preferably and decisions as easy and quick as possible. And also it likes things that are, it's able to process rapidly and with high speed. So, um, you know, that's something that uh, PayPal, they found to change their core messaging to more focus on speed and convenience which really um, helped them uh, connect with their consumer base a lot better. Also, Cheetos was a very interesting one too. So you went up uh, in one of the commercials. They um, they had actually some a, a friend or uh, some a, a lady actually um, throw you know a, a handful of yellow Cheetos into white laundry, and then um, when uh, they actually did just traditional types of research and and by that uh just by asking doing a questionnaire and asking the participants how they felt about uh this commercial this commercial you know the majority of the uh, participants said that um they just they they just didn't agree, they didn't agree with it simply because of the fact that um you know it's not nice to throw food into someone's laundry especially when they're looking to to clean it but what they found when they actually did brain studies was that the the brain actually areas of the brain actually activated where they found the actual commercial really enticing. And a lot of that had to do with revealing, you know, hidden feelings that, uh, that associate Cheetos with the thrill of doing something and, and being mischievous. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the mascot that Cheeto uses too, which is that, that cat with the uh, sunglasses, yeah, yeah. right? So it was kind of neat to see that, uh, Cheetos just decided to, um, hold off on that ad. By listening to, um, just, uh, you know, just the, the answers that the participants gave them, then, um, you know, that would have been something that, uh, would have been in, like a big marketing mistake because that, that, uh, the particular ad was really well received by the public. So, um, you know, that's, that's some of the insights that some of the brain studies were able to, um, to tap into that, um, that made well, a diff- it, big difference. A, these results, is it? Is it still like, well, you just really never know. You have to test and ask, or can you figure it out without having to do all that? Well, the thing is, there's there's not going to be like a silver bullet that's going to be able to anticipate everything beforehand, right? This is just neuromarketing is is an addition or an evolution of the 
to add on to the tr- traditional way or the current ways of marketing. So it's it's a tool that now we could utilize into our full, let's say, toolkit. So of course, there's you could use, um, you know, companies still use traditional ways where they ask questionnaires and focus groups, but also by combining it with uh, neuromarketing as well or neuromarketing strategies, it's, uh, is this a certain way to, um, you know, increase the chances of something uh, working? But the idea of, you know, never ever testing something or or something like that, I, I don't think that will go away because there's no sure shot of what's going to happen, but this does increase the chances of gaining a deeper understanding of uh, how the brand will be received by the consumer. I'll just give you like another cool. example. I was going to say the closer you can get, the more excited you'll become. Ooh, it's working. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the point. Yeah. Exactly. So if it takes you a step closer, then that's always a move in the right direction, right? No, that's true. Well, what's the example you wanted to give, the last one? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the biggest things was mitigating the risk of rolling something, a product line out before without really getting a, a deep understanding how consumers will, will receive it, right, or potentially receive it. Um, one of it was Chrysler, for example, in one of their uh, car lines there at that time, thinking of going with more of a type of look when it comes to their headlights. So before they actually rolled it out in full force, what they did was they ran, um, you know, brain studies to see how their uh, consumers would receive it. And what they found was actually um, that they were, that the, um, the initially thought of, you know, of implementing the, the more sleek style was going to be something that's going to be very, um, that's going to connect well with their, their audience group. However, through those ba- brain studies, they found that a more kind of like a human or humanoid shape. So almost like, you know, the, like a, like a human head or human eyeball, for example, or something that's an element that re- resembles like a human being is, um, is something that actually in the brains of the participants was much more attractive. So it started to actually activate, um, when, it, when the participants saw, the changed um, headlights to more be similar to a humanoid, uh, humanoid shape, then uh, the reward uh, networks or pathways within the brain, um, more specifically the, the nucleus accumbens, which is like the, the area of the brain response for like dopamine and, and so forth, became a lot more activated. So that was a strong indication that, um, you know, the more humanoid style for the headlights is something that the consumer will be much more gravitated towards. So that saved, you know, Chrysler, you know, millions and millions of dollars of producing or rolling out their, that specific line of cars, how they just went with their initial inclination and thought that the, let's say the slick style of headlights would uh, resonate with their consumers. So, um, you know, once again, that mitigates risk significantly during that time, very similar to, you know, the, the M&M commercial, if, if they, Let's say that um, for those last 10 seconds, if they found ways to make it either more engaging or maybe just totally remove it, for example, then they, they would have found, you know, certain ways to optimize that $100,000 a second into something that, uh, you know, would be uh, much more uh, effective for them in, in that respect. Yeah, very good. Well, Felix, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work and potentially become a customer? Where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm the founder of the near marketing company, Happy Buying Brain. So I'm act- I'm very active on uh, LinkedIn. So that's uh, the best place to find me. Um, you know, I'm more than happy to connect with people on there. Just type in Felix Kale. The second way is uh, to connect on the website. Um, I publish blogs, you know, on, on a regular basis. Uh, and one way to keep up to date in terms of what's happening in the world of near marketing and how could that get, help your business 
is to subscribe to the blog. And the third way is also through the, say, the contact form as well. So those three ways uh, would be the best way to contact me. But LinkedIn, connect on LinkedIn is the, the best way to uh, keep that uh, conversation going. Well, very good. Felix, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Richard. I definitely appreciate it as well. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.